0: Hi everyone, my name is Ben Cafardo on behalf of ESPN, and I want to welcome you to the ESPN and Kobe Bryant Media Conference Call to discuss detail the new basketball analysis show from Kobe Bryant's Granity Studios and ESPN, which debuts tomorrow, April 12th, exclusively on ESPN Plus. ESPN Plus is the first ever multi-sport direct-to-consumer subscription streaming service from the Walt Disney Company's direct-to-consumer and international group in partnership with ESPN. To get ESPN+, Plus, fans just download the new, completely redesigned ESPN app and subscribe to ESPN+, and they can begin streaming detail immediately. On the line today, we have Kobe Bryant, five-time NBA champion, one of the greatest NBA players of all time, and now an Academy Award winner as well. Thank you, Kobe, for joining today, and thank you to all the members of the media for your interest in today's call. We're here to talk about detail in the NBA playoffs. We issued a press release last week with additional information about detail, brand new show written, produced, and hosted by Kobe, where he will provide high-level analysis of NBA playoff games throughout the postseason, including during the NBA Finals. There are currently scheduled to be 15 episodes of detail with a special premiere edition of the show tomorrow on ESPN+. The second edition of detail will be available April 15th as Kobe breaks down a round one, game one matchup from this weekend. Those matchups will be made official tomorrow. If you have any specific questions about ESPN+, please reach out to me after the call and we'll get those answered for you. Right now, we'll go right into questions for Kobe about detail in the NBA playoffs. We're going to start with Benjamin Hoffman at the New York Times, followed by Andrew Marshand at the New York Post. Benjamin,
1: uh, thanks for doing this call. Uh, so, with the playoffs about to begin, um, we're going to inevitably end up in, yet again in another big legacy uh, talk about you know the Warriors, whether they're becoming a dynasty. LeBron, whether Chris Paul's going to finally get a ring. It seems like, I, I know that that championships have always been at the forefront in the NBA, but it seems like it's almost hit a fever pitch of people discussing players strictly in terms of, of the rings they've won. Do you think that that's sort of gotten overblown a bit, or do you think championships are the name of the game, and so it's an appropriate thing for people to focus on so much?
2: Um well you know i think it's a um you know it's uh it's situational i mean obviously you have individual players who have been phenomenal have had amazing careers um but haven't uh won a championship right and uh I think we all know that um but the name of the game is to win championships right and it's um you know um, in basketball it's it's different in mostly other team sports where an individual can really um, inspire, challenge, lead, make big plays, get big stops, to be able to lead a team to victory, right? Now, you can't do it alone. You have to have great teammates, whether it's, you know, Magic and Kareem and James Worthy or Scottie Pippen or Shaquille Powell, wherever the case may be. Um, So, you know, I think – Individually, you have great players who haven't had the good fortune of winning championships, but by and large, I don't think it's unfair uh, to put that pressure on winning championships because that is the name of the game is to win championships. I appreciate it. Thank you. You got it.
0: Thank you, Benjamin. Let's go to Andrew Marchand with the New York Post, followed by Tim Bontemps with the Washington Post.
1: Hey, Kobe. Kobe, I have two questions. Um, I'll ask them individually. Just the first one, what, what is your goal in terms of, you know, your, the, what you're doing in media? Because um, you've kind of taken a different route than, than others. So what's your goal?
2: Well, for detail in particular, it's, um, you know, I felt like it's important for the next generation um, to, to learn how to watch film, how to study the game. Um, I I felt like if the show was around when I was 10 years old, 11 years old, I would have have gained so much insight, so much value from it um, that by the time I'm 22, 25, my knowledge of the game would be um, at a much, much higher level than my predecessors. So I feel like it's uh, part of my responsibility to give back to the next generation and try to share and teach some of the things that I have learned from some of the great players and great mentors and great coaches that I've had. So that's the idea of the show, is, is to sh- show the next generation. Players that are currently playing as well as players that uh, aspire to be there one day. Um, my process of watching film at its smallest detail is hopefully they can pull something from that. that that's the goal. Okay. And then secondly, wh- how what would you gauge
1: or how would you say your level of interest of one day being a traditional analyst, kind of like Shaq or Barkley or, or game analyst, what would you say your level of interest is and doing
2: something like that uh, zero <laughs> <laughs> why so um because i I love what I'm doing now, so like I love coming to the office, writing, editing, creating, building I mean building a studio is no small task i mean it's it's I mean, it's all encompassing right, and so um I just don't have the time to sit at the studio and, and do that. You know, now if that was my passion to be able to sit at the studio desk and, and do that day in and day out, then I would certainly do it. But that's not my passion. My passion is writing. It's creating. It's putting beautiful stories together, weaving them in the form of a narrative. And that's what you'll see in detail. I mean, you, you know, we, we, it, it's hard to explain until you see it. Um, yes, it's a basketball a- uh, analysis show, but the way it's, it's woven together, um, you'll actually see the natural narratives um, that are uh, there in a playoff series. And we just kind of bring those to the light and, uh, in terms of how it actually affects the outcome of plays and in, in series. Well, thank you. Thank you,
0: Andrew. Let's go to Tim Bontemps with the Washington Post, followed by David Barron with the Houston Chronicle.
1: Uh, hey Kobe, two things quick. Uh, first, uh, a little bit off topic, but uh, given the way the game has gone over the past couple of decades, as you've been in the league, uh, with the you know the emphasis on spacing and in particular on bigs, um, you know being able to space the floor and shoot the ball. I was just curious, uh, as we see so much of that is basically every team's uh, the way every team is built now. Just on your thoughts on a guy, I know you're pretty close with Dirk Nowitzki, um, in terms of how he. Has impacted the sport um, over the past couple decades and, and kind of changed the way that teams think
2: about both the power four position and just offense in general. Yeah, well, Dirk, Dirk was kind of, he, he kind of went the opposite way, though. So, like, when Dirk first came in the league, he took a lot of threes, right? The year they actually won championships, I mean, he might have taken half the threes that he used to shoot when he first came in the league. Um, but, you know, the idea of having a big, you know, a guy that was seven feet, seven foot one. Uh, that could stretch the floor and uh, be one of the best shooters in the league, I mean, that was revolutionary. Um, um, uh, and I'm sure it inspired a lot of players, uh, a lot of bigs, to be able to say, you know what, I want to be like Dirk Nowitzki, right? And I think for Dirk, I mean, he was growing up looking at guys like, you know, Arvita Sabonis, um, you know, Vlade Divac, guys like that. Um, but Dirk Derek obviously took it to a different level because of his mobility, his ability to put the ball on the floor and spin, um, but, you know, by and large, man, when Dirk won that championship that year, the biggest problem that we had with, with him and that Miami and all these other teams had with him wasn't his picking and popping. It was his ability to play at the free throw line and play below the free throw line. I mean, that was, I think for him, that was his biggest growth as a player.
1: And then just, thank you for that. And then just one other thing, uh, since I don't think you've addressed it yet on the call, how do you see the playoffs shaking out and uh, and who do you think is going to win the championship this
2: year? Uh, I try to stay out of the the, the business of clairvoyancy. Um, I try to, uh, you know, just kind of look at kind of the raw picture of what I see in front of me from an execution standpoint. And um, obviously a lot of it depends on the health of Golden State. You know, Houston, I think have put themselves in prime position with their length, their versatility, their speed and, uh, and their aggressiveness. They're a very aggressive team. It's a more aggressive team than D'Antoni's had. I mean, Phoenix, they play with a lot of speed, but none of those guys were, were, were um, naturally physical. It's used to team. Right. Right? They got some real physical players, man. So I like where they're at. Um, Cleveland, obviously, with LeBron and you know, the shooter that they have around him, some of the youth that they've infused that team with is obviously going to be dangerous. I'm curious to see what Toronto does. Um, Tyree going down makes a big, big difference in the Eastern Conference. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, it's, you know, it's uh, I like Houston and, and, and uh, Golden State, pending their health, as being my top two favorites. But, like I said, I kind of stay out of the business of uh, of uh, predictions.
1: If, if I may, then real quick, what is the what is the one thing from an analysis standpoint that you are going to be most interested to
2: see during these playoffs? Well, I'm just looking at it from the perspective of if I was a player, right? So, you know, if I was, you know, hardened in the series, um, I just played this game, I'm watching the film, what would I be looking at, right? And so it's just basically me going back to my old ways of watching film and how I was, you know, breaking down series when I was playing. And that's that.
0: All right, thank you. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Let's go to David Barron with the Houston Chronicle, followed by Neil Best with Newsday. Will you have
1: the ability or the, the capability to, to uh, do interviews with players after games? Will you be weaving what they say about their performance into it, or will, will it be strictly just your observations? And that being the case, what stories do you think uh, you're most interested in telling specifically about the Rockets, about Chris Paul, about
2: James Harden, and others on that team? Yeah, so no, there there are no interviews, um there's no uh no desk, there's uh there's nothing of that sort. It's really know I want the viewer to have the experience of watching film. Right? So what you see on the screen is what I'm what I'm breaking down. And um it's there there aren't really stories that I'm fascinated with telling in terms of like Chris's performance in a playoff with Houston or, you know, how how they're meshing together or Golden State's health. I don't care about any of that. You know, the only thing I care about is if I'm James Harden, we just played game one, what do I need to focus on and learn from game one that'll help us in game two? What could we do better in game one? What do we need to look for that um, our opposition could counter with in game two, right? If, if that level of detail that this show is about. I mean, you know, it's, 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 um, you know, the name detail was pulled for a very specific reason. You know, this is not content that might not be for everyone, right? It's, it's really at the, the the smallest, smallest level of uh basketball breakdown to try to advance in a series. Will it be, will it be sort of a clicker show? Will you'll run a play? You'll run a play. You'll take it back a few frames
1: or run it again, that sort of thing. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you, David. Let's go to Neil Best with Newsday, followed by Gary Washburn at the Boston Globe.
1: As you're kind of morphing into this media world and doing these new projects, how, I mean, obviously your basketball career speaks for itself, but for the past month, has been the fact that you're now Oscar winner, um, Kobe Bryant, kind of added to your credibility in that world? Or is this kind of a cool thing to have on your resume?
2: Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, a, it's certainly added to it. I mean, it's, um, um, it's been an amazing journey. And I, and I think um, the important thing for me is, for, is, is to establish myself within this industry as a um, serious creative. Right? I mean, I can write. I can edit, I can produce, you know, I can do those things um, at a serious level. You know, it wasn't, it's not something that was just kind of a, you know, a one-time passion sort of thing. It's just something that we do every single day and we lock in on every single day. And, and winning an Academy Award um, certainly helps with that, right? Because it wasn't something that I just attached my name to as an executive producer, which most people tend to do. No, this is something that I gave birth to. This is something that I actually wrote. This is something that I have, Went out and, you know, called Glenn and got Glenn on board, called John got John on board and worked with that vision. So, um, it's, it, it, it feels good to be able to, to have, um, that, that recognition in that way.
1: Where is your Oscar?
2: Uh, I have it in my house. It's, it's sitting right next to the Annie Award that we won as well. So it's, uh, right. I look at them every morning before I go to work.
0: Okay. Thanks. Thank you, you, Neil. You're listening to the ESPN and Kobe Bryant Media Conference call. I should just remind everyone on the call there will be a transcript uh, available later this afternoon on ESPNMediaZone.com, and it will also be issued uh, to press. Uh, We're flying through here. We're not going to get to everybody, but uh, we have a few more here on the docket. So let's go to Gary Washburn at the Boston Globe, followed by Kelly Evans with The Undefeated. Hi, Kobe, uh,
2: You mentioned quickly about the Kyrie injury. I have two questions. I wanted to get your thoughts on, one, players such as Kyrie electing to have surgery and, thinking, and, and the Kawhi Leonard situation where players now have kind of seen what happened to Isaiah Thomas and are, are looking toward their long-term health as opposed to just plain hurt. I want to get your thoughts on that. And also get your thoughts on um, Celtics rookie Jason Tatum and what do you think of his game. Okay, well, firstly, um, what I've always tried to do is get second opinions always um, you know I, I was part of a as a you know amazing amazing franchise with the Lakers right mm-hmm. and um, but still uh, you know when, when you're dealing with matters of your body and your future, I think it's important to have second opinions. You have team doctors which are excellent, and we are very fortunate to have some of the best in the world. Um, but still, it's important to have second and sometimes third opinions on things so you can then make your decision as opposed to being in the dark and just trusting blindly a decision that's being made by a doctor. Um, so that that's one. And then two, if the injury is going to compromise your future um, as a basketball player, like your health, if, if this is something that's going to get worse, um, is it, if this is something that can inhibit you long term, you don't play on it. You just don't do it. You know, the injuries that I've had were injuries that I could actually play through, um, and um, and it wasn't going to get worse to the point where it was damaging my career long-term. It were just things that were just kind of short-term. I could play through it. It hurts like crazy, but it is what it is, right? Um, and so those are the decisions that I try to make with as it pertains to injuries. And then as far as Jason Tatum, his game is really well fleshed out. Um, you know, he has a great mid-range game. He can post up. Um, he can uh, finish at the rim. He handles the ball very well. He can shoot the long ball. Um, I think there's still little itty bitty things um, that he'll need to develop as his game progresses and defenses tend to kind of double him more and catch up to him. Um, but by and large, I love what I'm seeing from him, especially in defensive end, because most young players coming nowadays they just want to do the cute stuff. <laughs> and uh, he seems to be a kind of player that doesn't mind getting dirty and, and being physical and, and playing hard at both ends of the floor. Hey, thank you. Got it. Jalen Brown's like that too, by the way. I I think very highly of Jalen Brown too.
0: Thank you, Kobe. Let's go to Kelly Evans with the undefeated, followed by Scott Davis with Business Insider.
1: Hey Kobe, I kind of have a two-part question. The first question is what inspires you to continue to reinvent yourself and stay on top of everything you decide to do. And the second question is kind of a piggyback off the healthcare question, but it's more on opioids and because it's a crisis today and how you managed your pain level throughout your injury.
2: Um yeah, so I mean, I, I just follow my passion, like you know, things that I love to do, like writing and storytelling. I, I enjoy that, so um, I don't. I don't find myself having to, you know, uh, remind myself to work hard and push myself to stay on top of things because I just love doing it. So I, I'm, I can't wait to get here at the studio every single day and get back to work and work with the team and write and create and concept and develop and um, so I, I just enjoy doing that and, and, and it's. Um, I don't really look at it so much as reinvention as, you know, my my career as a basketball player was over. I love storytelling, and so here I am, you know. And uh, in terms of uh, handling the pain threshold, um, it kind of goes back to the question earlier where, you know, sometimes you have injuries where you just got to deal with the pain. You know, it's not going to get any worse, but you just got to deal with the pain. Like when I fractured my finger, there was nothing else that could be done, right? We put it back in place, it's still fractured. I was going to hurt like crazy, but it wasn't going to get worse, right? No ligament structures were damaged, tendons, nothing like that. So at that point, you got to just make a call, right? You just got to suck it up and play or just sit out and get it fixed right then and there. And uh, that's typically how I handled it.
1: Thank you.
2: you welcome.
0: Thank you. Let's go to Scott Davis with Business Insider, followed by Rory Carroll with Reuters.
1: Hi, Kobe. Two questions for you. Uh, You were so competitive as a player, and uh, I was wondering if this time of year is hard for you to watch basketball, if
0: that kind of competitiveness comes out in you, and uh, do you find ways to channel it like this in your show?
2: Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I I, I don't have a hard time watching that at all. I mean, this is where me and Mike will differ a lot. And, like, you know, when I was going through the process of retirement, um, I think people were kind of assuming – Michael and I behave the same way from a competitive standpoint. You know, we're both ridiculously competitive, but we're it's it's different to a point, right, um, where, you know, I have this other thing that I, that's calling me that I enjoy doing, and I'm completely focused on that. So, like, I can watch a game and feel nothing at all. There's no angst. There's no, like, man, I want to get back out. There, there's literally zero of that. Um, and so now when I watch the game, I watch it from the perspective that, you know, I'm looking at things that are happening like the things that my mind can process from years and years of studying film. And, uh, but now I'm just taking that information and applying it in an artful way to so the show detail. So it's uh, thank God I haven't like completely struggled watching playoffs. I'd be going crazy, dude. Um, <laughs> so fortunate, fortunate enough for me, like it, it's, it's really like, I've really been able to move on from the game.
0: Gotcha. And then uh, last question, um, you hear a lot about a team like the Cavaliers and LeBron James flipping the switch when the playoffs come. I was wondering, in your experience, um, how do you prepare
2: for that and how hard is it to
1: actually kind of go to
2: a new level when
1: the playoffs begin?
2: Well, here's the thing about flipping the switch. Flipping the switch is really just another word for you. you have one team that you're focusing on, so you can really zero in on that team. That's all that is. Right, you're still playing just as hard. You're doing all the things right, but that means playoffs means if you have one team to focus on, that means you can study all your regular season matchups against them. You can learn all the information that you need to learn to prepare yourself for this playoff series. That's flipping the switch, Um, and then from Cleveland's standpoint, uh, Cleveland seems to be executing a more. Democratic style of offense. Now, I did a piece last year that talked about, or a couple years ago, I think it was, I and mean, it was last year, about the two Kings um, system that the Cleveland Cavaliers are playing with, with LeBron and Kyrie, and contrast that with Golden State's democracy. And If you watch Cleveland play now, they're starting to play with more of a Democratic system, in which you'll see LeBron at the elbow, at the top of the key, being kind of the Draymond Green of the Cavs, while the other players, whether it's Jordan Clarkson and uh, Kevin Love, are running a corner split game, or they're playing a rip action, or they're doing stuff on the weak side where they're moving off the ball. And that makes them infinitely more dangerous. Gotcha. Thank you, Bobby. You got it. Thank you, Scott. Let's go
0: to Rory Carroll with Reuters, followed by Barry Janoff with New York Sports Journalism. Rory. Hey Kobe thanks for doing the call um
1: it seems like the tension between the players and the referees are at an all-time high uh, this season I'm wondering if you if you think that's the case and I'm just wondering if you were the NBA dictator what rules would you change about the game and
2: why um well I, I'd, I'd uh, allow for more physicality in the game you know I, I'd allow for hand checking and things like that um, Um, I feel like European basketball is, um, more physical than the NBA is right now. And, um, I think the NBA needs to be more physical, um, not to the sense of the way the Pistons were playing where it's, you know, guys are literally, you know, fearing for their safety when they're up in the air, not that kind of basketball. But something where, you know, you're not getting called for a body check or a light hand check or things like that. I think that just makes the game ridiculous, and I think it trickles down to NCAA. Like, I, I could barely watch some of these games at NCAA because, like, a player touches a guy with a with a thumb and it's a foul mm-hmm. in a situation where it's, uh, you know, it's costing them the game. So that type of stuff drives me crazy. i would be the first thing I'd change. Um, and then what was your second question?
1: Uh, well, just to, if you can expand on that, I mean, you don't think the games—it's uh, uh, not physical enough. It's more physical in Europe, uh, and you think that's taking away from the experience for fans, like yourself when you're watching. Well, I, I think
2: I think it needs to, to be—it's more enjoyable if there's a certain level of physicality. It's, it's 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 more competitive. You get to see players go mano a mano a little bit, as opposed to, oh my God, he put a hand on me—it's a foul. Like that—that that stuff is like. You know, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's gotta go, man. It, you know, it, it challenges players to improve their skill level, too, right? Because now, if you can hand check and things like that, you really must be fundamentally sound. You really must be able to get in the weight room. You really must be able to handle the ball to be able to get past defenders. Um, and then from the refs perspective, you know, I think we, we're, we're, we're looking at it the wrong way. Um, the players having issues with referees. I get that 100%. But I think instead of us looking at the referee situation and saying, okay, you know, they you know, it's, uh, they have personal vendettas or, you know, whatever the case may be. I think you, we also must look at the generational transition that's happening with officials as well, right? Because just like the NBA has players, you know, you have one generation that comes in, next generation comes out. Um, you have certain players that feel like, you know, they show up and they play. You have. Old school players are like, no, you got to watch the film, you got to prepare, you got to study. And I think the officials are going through a transition as well. We have younger officials coming in. Some of them want to do the work, some don't want to do the work. And it's just like anything else. It's just like any business, right? You have some that, that want to pay attention to the smallest of detail and others that do not. And um, so I think it's more of an issue for the officials that they're going to figure out how do you train and prepare and get better as officials. And uh, I'm sure that's something that they're focused on.
1: Do you think it's getting better or worse in terms of officiating and just foul calls and the quality of the game uh, vis-a-vis? Well,
2: you know? well, just like anything else, man, just like anything else, things got to get worse to get better. You know what I mean? And, and, look, it's a really, really tough job. I mean, it's a really, really, really tough job, right? And so for, mm-hmm. for officials mm-hmm. that are doing their job um, to the highest, highest of levels, means that you never mention a name once in a broadcast, right? I mean, that's, that's that should be every yeah. official's um, goal. But that is a really, really hard thing, man. There's human error. There's emotion. There's all kinds of shit going on where you can't be distracted. I mean, you have to be in the moment every single second. And it's very hard. It's very hard. And, um, you know, it's, uh, they'll make mistakes just like everybody else. But they'll keep getting better at minimizing those mistakes.
0: mm mm-hmm. Thank you, That's
2: great. Thank
0: you. Just a couple more here. Let's go to Barry Janoff with New York Sports Journalism, followed by Sean Devaney with Sporting News. Hey, Kobe. Thanks for your time and congratulations on the Oscar. Um, you Thank mentioned you. You, talk, you mentioned before when you were a player, you know, getting advice from veteran players and others in the game would have you know helped you as a younger player. In in the industry that you are now, have you sought out or have you been given advice from? Directors, other people in the industry, you know Spielberg, Ron Howard, or your friend Jack Nicholson, people like that. Have, have you asked for advice, oh, or have uh, they to you for advice?
2: Yeah, I have. Um, I, I, I've been I've been really, really fortunate um, from a um, from a story perspective. Um, you know, dealing with the likes of working with Glenn Keane and John Williams. But aside from that, you know, J.J. Abrams, um, um, George R.R. R. Martin. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, Shonda Rhimes, um, Steven Spielberg, uh, Ron Howard, and I had dinner uh, about a week ago, and we spent about hour and a half talking about film and process and all sort of stuff. And um, yeah, absolutely, man. It's you know I've, I've been a sponge my whole career, and it's certainly not going to stop now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, are you sitting there going Wow? I'm sitting here with Spielberg, as they as, or are they
2: sitting there going Wow? I'm sitting here with Kobe? Or is it just sort of well, they Well, they, they, they say, wow, I'm sitting here with Kobe. And I'm like, are you shitting me? Like, I'm sitting here with Steven Spielberg and, and, and Ron Howard and, like, you know, I'm at Pixar uh, sitting there talking with Pete Docter and, and Brad Bird. And they're telling me how wonderful Dear Basketball is and how did you write this thing. And, and I know that they don't play around. So, like, if they don't like something, they are cut and dry and, like, they'll tell you to your face that film is a piece of shit and here's why. And here's how you can do it better. So for them to sit there and say we love this film, it was amazing, excellent. That was like the greatest thing ever. Um, but when you're sitting there with Pete, Doctor, Brad Bird, and uh, you know uh, Lee, who uh, just uh, won the Academy Award for Coco, I mean that stuff is that's uh, you know it's priceless.
0: Yeah, cool. Good luck with detail. Thank you. Thank you, Barry. Let's go to Sean Devaney with Sporting News, and then we'll finish up over in Italy with David Shinoletto with Gazetta. Sean. Uh,
1: thank you for doing this, Kobe. Uh, I wanted to you mentioned some international players, and, and, and you've sort of praised uh, the fundamentals of international players in the past. So I wanted to ask you about a couple of them. Uh, one is uh, the rookie Ben Simmons, your impressions of him, and uh, the
2: other is uh, a, a new Hall of Famer or your old teammate Steve Nash. I just want to get your impressions of those two guys. Well, you know, I think Ben plays with a really great tempo. I think the, the, the time that he's had to watch the game has helped has helped slow down the game for him, right? So he's had a chance to really observe the NBA game and, and, uh, and be around it and pick it apart. And so now that he's playing, I think the game's in slow motion for him, which is different than most rookies because he's had a chance to view it a lot. Now, from a game perspective, his size gives him a clear advantage, his speed, but he also knows how to use it right he knows his spots on the floor he knows his strengths and weaknesses he does a great job getting there and uh i think his development will come in shooting obviously i mean he he, at some point he's got to be able to shoot that ball uh you know jason Kidd when he came in the league wasn't a great shooter um but he worked to the point where he became one of the best three-point shooters we've had in our league in history so uh, i think that'll be his next progression Um, but that being said, even without that, he's been able to dominate and and take that city of Philadelphia to a place where it hasn't been in a very, very, very long time. Um, and you know, Steve, I'm extremely happy for Steve. I mean, Steve was, um, I remember he and I, um, kind of being the, the, the outcast there in that 96 draft that nobody was really talking about. And, uh, (laughs) You know, we were just kind of like everybody. All the media was sitting around the top, the, the big name players, and he and I was just kind of be sitting there in the corner, like twiddling our thumbs. <laughs> and uh, um, and and so it, it's great to fast forward to to where he is now, being a Hall of Famer and everything that he's accomplished. And uh, it's a true testament to hard work and intellect. I mean, he's really studied the game, and uh, and he's he's figured out how to take what most. Called weaknesses of his turn those into absolute strengths, and so he just had a remarkable, remarkable career.
1: Huh.
2: Uh, thanks,
0: Toby. You got it. Thank you, Sean. And we'll finish up with David Chinaletto with Gazetta. John Cooley, uh, my question is about Philadelphia
1: and the Sixers. Uh, how much do you love them, and what do you love? What do you love about them? And obviously about Marco Bellinelli, And are you surprised how fast he? Uh, fit in
2: with the Sixers and, you know, how well is he playing? No, I'm not surprised surprised at all. You know, Marco is, uh, you know, he has all the skills and, uh, you know, he's a thinker. He knows how to move off the ball. He knows how to use screens. In Philadelphia, you know, that's what they need, right, because you have Embiid who commands double teams wherever he is on the floor. Um, You have Simmons who pushes the ball and puts a lot of pressure in the paint on defenses. And so, from that perspective, you need players that can move off the ball with slight um, slice cuts, understanding when to backdoor, knowing how to come off of a off of a off of a screen, catching and shooting. So I'm not surprised at all at how quickly he's fit in, and uh, I'm really really happy for the city of Philadelphia. because obviously it's been an amazing year uh, of sports in Philly, from the Eagles to Villanova, and you know, and now Philly, and uh, it, it's uh, I'm really really excited for the city. Thank you.
0: Thank you David, and thank you for everyone's time. Just a reminder, Detail makes its debut tomorrow exclusively on ESPN Plus. There will be a transcript of today's call made available shortly. Thank you to Kobe for taking the time today. We really appreciate it.
2: You got it man. Thank you.
0: Thank you everyone.